<clears throat> our final week on the book of Amos. And so, you might be wondering, what are we going to do after Amos is all done? I haven't decided yet. So, been, been, been focused on Amos, but I've been anxious to get to chapter 9 since it started. Uh, just, uh, I think it's uh, some interesting things we see here that I think are important things that a lot of people don't understand. Some good verses in here. We see one passage in particular that I think debunks a lot of the dispensational teaching. One of the biggest problems with uh, dispensationalist teachings is um, they never, when they read the New Testament, one thing they never ever do is go back and read the Old Testament with that to see what it's quoting. A lot of times they like to stay in the Old Testament, but a lot of their passages that they use to prove a lot of their false doctrine are verses that are actually quoted in the New Testament, and they never go there. They will, you'll, this passage we're going to look at, a dispensationalist, it's a common passage that they would use, but one thing you'll never see a dispensationalist do is go to the New Testament where it quotes this passage. Because the New Testament, it shines a light on the Old Testament. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that by itself are very dark and cryptic, that are very confusing many times. Where you're like, yeah, what does that mean? What's that all about? Well, you know, the thing is, you've all heard the statement, hindsight's 2020, right? Hindsight's 2020. Well, it's kind of like a lot of this stuff's a mystery. And we've all, we've all seen the mystery movies before, where it's like after you see the end of the movie and the mystery is solved, all those clues before that you couldn't make sense of, the second time you go and you watch it, now it all makes sense. You're like, how did I not figure that out? And it's the same thing with a lot of the passages in the Old Testament, we can understand these more clearly now because it's hindsight. Some of these things have been fulfilled and we're able to look back on them now and be like, yep, that's exactly what that means. And without the New Testament, we would not be able to do that. And to not take advantage of the New Testament clarifying these passages is very foolish. And it's going to make you very likely to get mixed up on a lot of your teaching. But let's go ahead... And start reading in verse 1 of Amos chapter 9. I better get my notes out so I know where I'm going. It says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and He said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, then shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before all their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil... And not for good. So right here in these first four verses, they're pretty self-explanatory. It's really a very fancy way of God saying, they're not going to get away from me. They're not going to be able to hide. You can climb up to heaven. I'll find you there. You can go, you can dig down to hell. I'll find you there. And obviously, you know, nobody can physically do those two things. But one thing they could do, they could go to the top of Carmel, which was one of the higher mountains in the northern kingdom. They could, you know, go swim down to the bottom of the sea, but he's like, you know what? I'll get you in those places too. Wherever you go, I'm going to get you. You can try to flee away, but it's not going to do you any good at all. Basically what you know could have been said in these four verses is you can run, but you can't hide. And that's pretty much what God was saying right there. He, uh, it's just a, a little more fancy because they're in trouble. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time just repeating everything, but it's clear, you know, just, but just kind of a little, little overview and just a reminder, you know, Amos, here he is, he was just a herdman. He was not a prophet. He was not the son of a prophet. But you know what? God called him to go into the northern kingdom and to give this message. And if you remember, you know, in the first weeks, how he was, uh, doing prophecies against all these other kingdoms that were surrounding them, their enemies. He was prophesying against them, which was something Israel had been praying that God would deal with their enemies. But the thing is, Israel participated in the wickedness of those other nations. And so, when God was going to deal with them, Israel was going to get dealt with too, because they did all the same stuff. 
and it was something that was shortly going to come to pass, and it wasn't long after the, all this takes place, after Amos gave these prophecies, it wasn't long before the Assyrians came through and ended up taking them over and defeating them, just like God said. And so we've seen uh, throughout this book that with, at the point when Amos comes along and he's prophesying against them, it was too late for the nation as a whole to get right. But it wasn't too late for individuals. It wasn't too late for a remnant to be saved. That That's very clear in all these, even though God was done with the northern kingdom. It was too late. They pushed God too far. They, they didn't have a chance. But if you, were a, if you were a godly person that lived in that northern kingdom, if you were somebody who loved the Lord and you hated evil, if you were somebody that believed the prophet, you didn't have to go down with the ship. You could go and you could run and go to the southern kingdom where God was going to protect those people. And I believe there were people that did. Do, uh, that did do that because of the fact that you know in the southern kingdom you just had the tribes of Judah and Levi and Benjamin I believe it was and but in the um, later on we still see even in the New Testament you see people from the other tribes even though it was pretty rare because but there were some there was a remnant of the other tribes but look what it says in verse five it says oh, well, uh, it says and the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven, and hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. Right here, he's just kind of rehashing what he said. I'm coming for you. Oh, and guess what? The one who's coming after you, the Lord is His name. Just kind of reiterating the fact, you're not going to get away. The Lord is after you. Okay? You're, you're not going to beat Him. You're not going to be able to outdo Him. And notice what it says in verse 5. or in verse, Yeah, in verse 5, it mentions um, they should be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. All right? you know, what is the, the flood of Egypt? Okay, I was reading this, and that's mentioned a few times in the Bible. The flood of Egypt, I think it was mentioned earlier in the book of Amos, but I'll tell you what my opinion is on the, on the flood of Egypt. And it's not, it's not a massive deal, but uh, in Joshua 24, 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And I think when, he's talk, when it talks about the flood, it's talking about the Jordan River. Because if you remember... When they crossed the Jordan River, it was at a time when Jordan overflowed its banks. All right, kind of like the Rock River flooded this year. And if, uh, there's certain rivers that certain times of the year, you know, they they typically you know flood and can cause problems. And apparently that was something that the Jordan River did that we see in the Old Testament. And I think that's what he's referring to here. You know, this is a river that typically would you know overflow and cause problems. And so I think that he's referring to that. As I think that's a reference to the Jordan River, but basically showing how you know when I come after you, I'm gonna I'm gonna surround you, I'm gonna overflow you. I mean, think about floods, just how powerful they are. I mean, it's just water, but is it not amazing how much damage water can do? I mean, and just how helpless people are when these floods get started. I mean, I've seen some of the videos and I've. Uh, seen, you know, some of the things when there has been major floods and when some of these rivers do overflow. I know there's been some massive ones in the Mississippi in the past. I've known people that have been involved in floods. I've kind of seen the result of floods. I mean, even the Rock River, if you go down, like, you know, by our house, you know, we've seen it where it gets flooded there, uh, in that boat ramp pretty bad. But, you know, the really bad part of the Rock River when it gets flooded is down by Moline. And when you get down there, I've seen some of the places where they have the houses along the river and I've seen uh, that get overflowed real bad to where it's you know ruined some of the houses and things, and it's just it's a hopeless feeling to be you know at the mercy of the river. It's water, and there's just nothing you can do. You can't stop it. With all the technology, with all we have today, we can't stop a flood. And God's kind of comparing what's about to come on them, you know, to the flood of Egypt or to the Jordan River. When it does, when it gets full, when it starts to overflow, there's, there's nothing you can do. And that's what God's about to do to them. God is about to just completely 
overwhelm them with what was coming their way because they had been so wicked. So look at verse 7. It says, All the men of, or no, I'm in the, uh, Obadiah. It says, Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among the nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword which say, The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. So notice, while God is about to destroy Israel, He's about to destroy that northern kingdom, He was not going to utterly destroy it. Do you remember, you know, many times in the Old Testament, especially when they were going and they were conquering Canaan land, often God would tell them to utterly destroy certain people. There were some people, there were some nations, they were so wicked, where God said, utterly destroy them. Don't leave anybody. Don't leave anything. And while God was about to end this northern kingdom, He was not going to utterly destroy them. Now, can anybody think of why He wouldn't completely, utterly destroy them? God made some promises in the past, didn't He? God made some promises to Abraham. And so there, there was a promise that they would you know, continue forever. So He can't... And I understand this is just the northern kingdom... But he was not going to just completely and utterly destroy them. There would be some left. So what God's about to do here, he says, you know, I'm going to, um, uh, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among the nation like as corn is sifted in a sieve. It's something, you know, something they would do when they would, they would shake things, alright? Uh, they would often sift wheat. Something they would do to kind of shake it and get rid of the bad stuff and just leave the good stuff. And God's about to shake things up. God's going to get rid of all the bad stuff. But God is going to preserve the good ones. All right, There are going to be some people that make it, that get through it. And I think it's interesting, the ones who were going to survive. The ones that God was going to spare. And notice which ones those are. In verse 10, He says, All the sinners of My people shall die by the sword, which say... The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. Okay? And what's interesting about that? The people that are going to be destroyed, notice, are going to be the ones who don't believe God. Think about that. God sends a prophet there. God gives them, God gives them a message that you are going to be destroyed. We see in, in the book of Amos that it was going to be safe in the southern kingdom. And that was one of the reasons, too. Amos was from the southern kingdom. You remember in one of the chapters, they told him, you know what, go back to your kingdom. You know, go back down to Judah. Go back down there where you belong. The people here, they can't handle this. They don't want to hear this stuff. So you know what, go back where you came from. So you know what, basically, though, God sent him there anyway. That way, those who were believers... Those who were saved, those who did believe God, would hear that message and would know, hey, you know what, let's get out of here. If God said that this place is going to be destroyed, but they're going to be safe down there in the southern kingdom, let's get out of here. Let's head down there. And so the ones who were actually believers would be saved in this situation. And I think that's interesting because of the fact, too, that we see in Romans 11, alright? In the dispensation, let's love to go to Romans chapter 11. But we see that, you know, when it comes to Israel, people are always, um, there's that verse, says, um, for the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Referring to, referring to those men, because God made a promise that, you know, He would preserve them. But we see though in Romans 11, that though that, uh, remnant according to the election of grace, are saved Jews. It's believers. God spares those ones. Nobody, no Jew is going to get a pass just because they're a Jew. If they want to be spared the judgment, if they want to be spared the wrath of God, they've got to get saved. How do you get saved? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've got to be a believer. And it was the same thing with this northern kingdom back then. God said, I'm done. You're in trouble. Okay? But... Had God cast them away? In other words, were they reprobate? No. As a whole they were, 
But individuals could be saved. Individuals could believe the message of the prophet and they could get out of there and be spared the judgment that was about to come their way. And it's the same thing today with Jews today. While God has finished with them as a physical people, that doesn't mean they're cast away. It doesn't mean that they're reprobate. They can be saved if they'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think what we see here in Amos chapter 9 is, is kind of a parallel to what's going on right now. There's many Jews out there today who, they're again, they're not listening to the message of the prophets. They're not listening to the preaching. They're not, they don't want to listen to a bunch of goyim or a bunch of Gentiles, you know, give, give them a message. They don't want to hear that stuff. In Israel today, you know, they, they reject these things. You're not allowed to evangelize. You're not allowed to pass out tracts and things like that. You're not allowed to do that in Israel today. They don't want to hear these things. But you know what? Thankfully, you know, there's still, with things like internet and stuff, there's ways to get the message out there. And if there's any people out there, if there's any people living in Israel, if there's any Jews even here in America, if they will believe the message of God, then you know what? They don't have to go down with the rest of their brother. And thank God for that. Thank God He left the way out then, and there's still a way out now. But nobody gets a pass just because... They're the children of Israel. And you say, well, why does God keep giving them chances? You know, why does God, you know, still give them, give them a chance? Shouldn't He just be done with them just because they're Jews? Nope. Because of that promise He made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're beloved for the Father's sake. Therefore, they can still get saved. How do they get saved? Just like us, because God concluded them all in unrighteousness. God, in His infinite wisdom and His, um, just, only something he would have come up with and only something he could figure out. God figured out a way that even though Israel completely rejected him, he still made, and even though God was going to have to, in a sense, reject them as a nation, God still made a way of salvation for them. What was it? By putting them right in the same boat with us. Just concluding them all in unrighteousness, making them just like us Gentiles before we got saved. And now today... They can be saved and they can be God's chosen people because they believed on Christ. And that, that is an amazing thing. And that just shows how much God loves them. It does show how much He keeps His promises. And we've got, we've got people in the dispensation world trying to teach that, you know, we're teaching that God doesn't keep His promises because we don't think God's going to restore this, you know, physical nation in, in the way that they say it's going to happen. But no, God does keep His promises. And he, he's proved it. It's just they've got this messed up uh, way of thinking because they, unfortunately a lot of those people haven't got salvation figured out. So don't get excited that I'm almost done with this chapter, right? Because I'm going to show you something here. We're going to look at some other parts of the Bible. I don't want you to get all excited when we read the rest of the chapter right here because there's, there's something that a lot of people don't understand that we need to get. But look at, uh, let's go to, go to 2 Peter chapter 3 before we go there. 2 Peter chapter 3. I think, I think personally what we are seeing happen right here in the book of Amos where the prophet's coming there. He's preached them. There's no getting out of it. The northern kingdom's going down. But there is a way a remnant can be spared. I think what we see going on there is the same, same thing that we're gonna, that we see going on right now. In 2 Peter 3 verse 3, it says, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So just like there were scoffers back then, there were people that tried to shut down the message, we see that uh, you know, that's going on today. Where people's like, you know, here it is 2,000 years later. Hey, it's 2018 We've already passed the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation. And guess what? The rapture didn't come back. And you know what? Unfortunately, that's probably going to make some people lose their faith. Because you know, here we are, 2018. Where is the promise of His coming? You know what? He never promised when it was going to be. He did say, no man knew the day or the hour. But you know what? He is going to come. But there's going to be those scoffers that are going to use that to, why? to try to keep people from getting saved. They're going to try to stop people from getting saved just like they did back then trying to stop the people from leaving the northern kingdom so they could be saved. So they could be spared the judgment that was coming. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
the earth also, and the works that are there, and shall be burned up. So we see in Amos, that the ones who were going to be spared, okay, the ones who believed his words, all right, they were the ones that were going to be spared. But the ones who said, the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us, God said, they are the ones that are going to die. And you know what? When that time came, when judgment came on those people, it came on them suddenly. They weren't expecting it. And you know, it was too late. And the same thing's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns, when the day of the Lord comes, then it's going to be too late for them. But you know what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Same thing Peter said. Alright, it's going to come like a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, when they shall say, the Lord's not coming, when they say judgment's not coming, just like it says right there, the evil shall not overtake us, nor prevent us. Alright? Though it's the people who are saying that when they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that, that they should overtake you as a thief. Just like those back in Israel's day, those who did believe the message, those who did believe what the prophet said, they weren't going to be overtaken. They weren't going to be surprised. You know what they were going to do? They were going to get out of there. Why were they going to get out? What great thing did they do that got them out of judgment? Nothing. They believed the prophet. And they packed their bags and they got out of there. And it's the same thing too. Those of us who are saved, we're going to be spared the judgment. You know why? Because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that there's a heaven and there's a hell. We believe that we're a sinner and that we deserve destruction. We believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back one of these days and He's going to judge this world. And you know what we've said? We didn't say the evil shall not overtake us. You know what they said? It will. We said it will overtake us. And so you know what? Lord, we need Your mercy. We need Your forgiveness. And He forgave us. And so you know what? When the day of the Lord comes, He's not going to come on us as a thief. We are not in darkness. And so... You remember that too when everybody likes to use the thief of the night argument to show that you know the rapture is imminent. That's foolish. Okay? The Bible says He's not going to overtake us as a thief. That means we know it's coming. We're, we're going to be ready when it all starts going down. Why? Because we believe the message of the Bible. We believe what the Bible says. But you know what? For many people, especially for Jews, history is going to repeat itself. But they're not all going to go down. And you know what? We're going to keep doing everything we can to try to be like an Amos and to try to tell as many of them as we possibly can so they can be saved and they can be spared. So let's look at um, let's look at these last verses here in Amos. And then I want to show you some things in the New Testament. So it says, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Now often when you see the term in that day, it's often talking about the day of the Lord. All right? The day of the Lord has been mentioned in Amos. Now understand... There are, and I've said this before, there are some things that are, are dual prophecies, alright? But it's very easy to prove that some of what we are seeing here in these next verses has not come to pass, alright? And, you, and it's, you can prove it from the New Testament. So in that day, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Eden and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall not overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes. Him that soweth seed in the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall be no, no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Now, has that been fulfilled? Absolutely not, because, first of all, they did get to go back to their land, you know, after the 70 years in Babylon and all that, but they got pulled out of their land again, didn't they? In fact, they've been pulled out of their land for the last 2,000 years. 
Yeah, but in 1948, they came back, right? You know, this is prophecy being fulfilled, correct? All right, well, let's see what this is all about. All right, so let, let's go back to 11 and 12. I want to do something here with you first because I love taking an Old Testament verse that's kind of vague and giving a very specific interpretation of it that people are like, nah, you're, you're reading into that. You're adding to that. But then proving it from the New Testament. So let's, let's look at verse 11 again. So in that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. That clearly has not happened. All right, Israel has never been restored to its formal, former glory. So that they may possess the remnant of Eden and of all the heathen which are called by, by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. What this passage is talking about here, when God raises up that tabernacle of David, what that's talking about, God is going to restore the kingdom to the house of David, which I believe is through Jesus Christ. All right, Jesus Christ, who is the son of David. I'll show you some verses on that in a little bit. That Davidic line or that Davidic kingdom, it's going to be restored in the millennium. All right, in the millennium, this is going to happen. It didn't happen in 1948. It's going to happen in the millennium, and it's going to happen. The people that are going to be a part of that kingdom is going to be Israel, but it's going to be saved Israel, and not just saved Israel, but notice what it says in there. It says, um, the, uh, they may possess the remnant of Eden and of all the heathen. It's saying right here in the Old Testament, that's Gentiles too. It's like, well, no, that's not real clear. I, I think you're reading into that, right? Well, I'm glad you said that, because now I'm going to prove you wrong. Alright, look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Let's start, uh, let's start reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 15. I see, because it's not uncommon to hear dispensationalists use those last verses in Amos. But you won't ever hear them go from Amos chapter 9 to Acts chapter 15. Okay? So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. These would be what we call Judaizers. Alright? We have Jews trying to make keeping the law a part of salvation. You know what they were doing? They are adding works of salvation. That's heresy. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought in their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great uh, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Hey, they got all excited and they heard Gentiles are getting saved too. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them, to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, why was this happening? Because of the fact that for a Jew, the circumcision was a huge thing. That was a huge part of keeping the law. Well, it didn't need to be taught in the church to have your men circumcised because of the fact everybody already was. That was a part of being a Jew. All right? It would be like we don't have to teach Americans on 4th of July to eat fried chicken and watermelon. All right? It's just something that we do as Americans. All right? it's, part of our, it's part of our culture. All right? That might not be the greatest example. But it, now we've got Gentiles that are being saved. Gentiles who had no such custom. But this was something that was very important to the Jews. And they're like, you know what? We can't have these uncircumcised people in there. They were always against the uncircumcised. The uncircumcised Philistine, things like that, remember, from the Old Testament. So now, all of a sudden, they're adding a requirement for salvation. Saying that this is something that has to be done, which causes a controversy. Okay, understand the church is very young at this point. You know, they're, they're growing, they're learning. And so they came together. Hey, let's get together. Let's put our heads together. Let's figure out what's going on here. And when there had been much disputing, okay, typical Baptist church got fighting going on. It says, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost 
even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He's like, hey, we, we couldn't keep the law. We can't keep it. Our fathers didn't keep it. Why are we going to put that yoke upon them? You know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are weary. All you that labor and are heavy laden. Yeah, there you go. And I will give you rest. Why is he saying that? You know, he's saying, trust in me. Trust in me for salvation. Jesus did the work. Alright? It's salvation is easy. Keeping the law is hard. Verse 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And when they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now, I read all this because context is important. Right? That's what dispensationalists miss. They never look at context. What have they been disputing about? All right, They've been disputing about whether or not you got to keep the law in order to be saved. What brought up that controversy? All right, It's the fact that Gentiles are being saved. What have they been talking about? All right, Paul and Barnabas, hey, God's been doing work among the Gentiles. We've been doing miracles among the Gentiles. Peter said, hey, God used me to give the gospel to the Gentiles. And they received the Holy Ghost just like us. God has put no difference between us and them. Between Jews and Gentiles. That's exactly what Peter has been saying. And then James now steps up and he mentions how God first had visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for His name. To take out a people for His name. What was that verse that we read back in Amos? We're talking about the heathen. They're called by His name. Alright? But verse 15 says, And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. And he quotes Amos. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles. Okay, Gentiles and heathen are used simultaneous. Okay, He's quoting Amos. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So right here, James is saying, hey, this matter has ended. Just like we've seen the proof. I mean, they've received the Holy Ghost like we did. Paul and Barnabas, they've been doing miracles among the Gentiles just like they've done among us. And you know what else? End of story. The Bible says the same thing. The prophets witnessed this. The prophets declared that the Gospel was going to go to the heathen. And he quotes the book of Amos showing that, you know what? God's going to restore the tabernacle of David someday. God's going to restore the kingdom one day. But you know what? It's not just for us Jews. It's for all who are called by His name. From the residue of all people. From people all over the world. And then look what it says in verse 18. This is the main reason the dispensationalists can't read Amos chapter 9 and then come to Acts where it quotes Amos chapter 9. Because look what he says in verse 18. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. Uh-oh. So the Gentiles weren't plan B. Y'all see that? Uh, am I reading into this? Or is this not really clear? There, James was saying, this has been proven. This is exactly what the prophets say. God saw this coming way before we did. We missed it. We didn't see this coming. But the prophets sure saw it coming. Amos prophesied that this was going to happen. What we are seeing happen right now, where God is built, He's, he's setting up the tabernacle of David again. He's re rebuilding it. He's doing it, not just with Jews, but with Gentiles also. God saw this coming from the beginning of the world. This is not a new thing. The gospel going to the Gentiles is not a new thing. This is something that God always saw coming. It was something that he knew from the beginning. And you know what? Amos isn't the only place where that was prophesied. We see many places, even in the book of Acts, 
all over the New Testament where it refers back to Old Testament scriptures to show that the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. And I, I just I will never understand where these dispensationalists get away with saying the Gentiles were plan B. And then and then they go and they take all these things and they say that you know what God, you know, it's it's all about the physical Jews today. You know, God's about to restore the kingdom to them. Alright? To them. They say God's going to restore the kingdom to them, referring to lost people who are living over in the land of Israel today. People who do not believe in Christ are saying it's going to go to them. No, you know who it's going to go? It's going to go to those who are called by God's name. It's going to go to those who are saved, Jews and Gentiles. God is going to restore Israel one of these days, but He's going to restore it to the saved people. We don't have time to go there, but go to in Ezekiel chapter 37 with a vision of dry bones. All right? Everybody's taken that, and they all like to say that was 1948 when God you know, brought life back to Israel again. Wrong. Alright, you've got bodies coming out of the grave and everything right there. You literally have a resurrection right there. And, th and then it goes on to talk about how God's going to set up that kingdom. It's not going to have walls. And then after that, you've got a Gog and Magog battle. And for some reason, pe because people said that's 1948, they've got Gog and Magog coming probably before the rapture or maybe right after the rapture. When the Bible's very clear in Revelation that Gog and Magog is after the millennium. Okay? Because we see, and it's all over the Old Testament, that God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel, but it's going to be those who come out of their, their graves. It's going to be those who rose from the dead. It's going to be the saved Israel from the past, from the Old Testament. They're going to rise up. They're going to possess it. Not a bunch of lost people today calling themselves Jews. And you know what? We're going to be a part of that if we're saved because God, He's calling a people for Himself out of all the nations. Out of all the heathen, Amos 9 proves it. And if there's any doubt to how it's you know spelled out in there, because it's like I said, it's not super clear, Acts 15 clears it up. Okay, he's going to restore the tabernacle of David. Now let me show you a few more verses on this just to kind of prove some of these things. Because we need to understand what the tabernacle of David is referring to. Alright, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 37. Alright, let's go. We don't have time to read all of Ezekiel chapter 37. But let me show you a few things. So this is after this vision of dry bones, alright? So I, I believe that's a picture of the rapture, and we're going into the millennium. And it says in verse, uh, we'll start reading verse 21. It says, And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen. Whether they be gone, we'll gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be their king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Now, that's kind of reference too, because back then they had the northern and southern kingdom. It says, neither shall they devile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of the, their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they, they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall ha all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. So notice in there how God mentioned that David was going to be their king. Alright? So the question is, is David going to be the king of Israel one of these days. Well, I personally, now I do believe David's going to do something in the millennium, but I personally think this is talking about Jesus Christ. Okay, Because when he's talking about restoring the kingdom to David, one of the things that ended up happening after, and, the, and this was a huge deal, there was all these major promises that if you go and you're reading through the books of the kings, there's all these promises that God made to David and, uh, his, and to his line. 
that there would be a kingdom, his kingdom would be established forever. Okay? God promised that to David. Well, there's a problem. Okay? There is no kingdom of David right now, is there? Okay? That ended up going away after um, you know, Babylon came and took them over. Even after they went back to their land 70 years later, the line of David never, there was never anybody that was king again. In Jesus' time, Herod was the king, but Herod was just a puppet of Rome. Herod was not in the line of David. Jesus was the one who has actually the rightful king, who actually had the, you know, the birthright or who was in that line. But was Jesus the king on earth during that time? No. There, it's been for over 2,000 years. The kingdom of David has not been there. Nothing's been going on. So I believe that when the kingdom of David comes back, it's going to be when Jesus Christ returns and the Davidic line is restored because Jesus comes from that line. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. I don't think we necessarily need to be looking for David. I think we need to be looking for the line of David. I think we need to be looking for Jesus Christ. It says that the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all these words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave unto their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth prevail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, and he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. So right there we see another reference to it. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Well-known verse right here. says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us the Son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So right there we see, we know that's talking about Jesus right there. Alright, we know that. The other verses, it looks like it's talking about David, but here in Isaiah, very clearly a verse that we know for a fact is talking about Jesus. It says that upon that he'll be upon the throne of David. What this is, this is a reference to God restoring the kingdom to David. In other words, to his line, to his descendants. Because that was something, you know, none of us in here, we've never had a kingdom before, okay? We've never had a kingdom, right? Now, I've known some pastors who've had some kingdoms, all right? And what's what one thing that every king wants? They want to pass their kingdom on to their son. They want it to stay in their name. That's what every king wants, and that's what every pastor slash king wants, all right? It's what they all desire. And uh, they'll do, do whatever they have to to make that happen, all right? And so that was something God promised to David. And then Solomon came, but Solomon, he was wicked. So what did God do? God, he had to keep that promise with David. So God split the kingdom. And then he gave the northern kingdom to Jeroboam. And he gave Jeroboam the same promise. You can have the kingdom. It will be yours or in your family forever if you'll obey me. But Jeroboam didn't obey the Lord. And so the kingdom constantly changed hands in the northern kingdom. And But God did. God preserved it in David's line I mean, all the way down through, remember back, anybody still have all those kings memorized? Remember when we memorized them? You know, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Asa, Abijah, I, I'm not even going to try. Uh, but, you know, then all the way to Jeconiah and his brethren. They got taken captive in Babylon, and you know what? The kingdom of David was gone. 
But you know what? God's going to restore it. That has not happened yet. All right, that that has definitely not happened, and it is going to happen. God's going to restore the kingdom to David. In other words, God's going to give it to Jesus Christ, who is uh, who is the son of David. That's what it says. Um, oh, I, but I didn't write any of the verses down for this. But one thing that we see, um, or no, I, I got I got one here. Matthew chapter fifteen, verse twenty-one. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Okay? Jesus Christ is the son of David. They knew that in Israel's time. He was often referred to as the son of David. And I believe that's one of the reasons, too, many of the Jews kind of expected him to set his kingdom up then during that time because they knew there was a promise. They knew there was a prophecy that God was going to restore the kingdom to David. So here we've got a son of David who's doing all these miracles and they're thinking, this is it. Here he's coming. This prophecy is about to be fulfilled of David becoming the king again, referring to the line of David. But understand... There was something that they missed. There was something that they didn't see coming. And that's the fact that, you know what? No, God's not going to restore the kingdom. God's not going to build the tabernacle of David just with Jews. He's going to build it with people from all the nations, from people from all over the world, from all the heathen, from the residue of all people, just like it was prophesied in Amos chapter 9, verse 11, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth it. Acts 15 proves that we're interpreting that right when we say that it's not done. And we see that in that James, in the book of Acts, he realized that when Gentiles were being saved and becoming a part of the church, alright, becoming a part of the New Testament church, James recognized the fact that this is God fulfilling the prophecy in Amos. Y'all see that? See, the dispensationalists want to use that and say this is something coming in the future, specifically for Christ-rejecting Jews, where James makes it perfectly clear that Jesus is fulfilling this now with the church, with the New Testament church, God was fulfilling that prophecy and restoring the tabernacle of David. And so for those who want to say that all that stuff in Israel, that lands for the Jews, no, it's ours. You know why? Because it belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the one that's going to get it. He's the one that's going to inherit it. And so you know what? Everything that's been promised to Abraham is mine. You know why? Because God promised it to Abraham and his seed. Well, who is Abraham's seed? It's Jesus Christ. Well, what are we? We are joint heirs with Christ. So those promises that were to Israel, and I've proved this before in other messages, those promises were truly to Jesus Christ and all who are in Christ. And so you got to stop letting these people that are out there trying to take away these promises you know, from you. Alright, they're, they're trying, they're trying to steal our birthright. You know, that's, that's what Jacob's trying to do today. Alright, these physical Jews trying to steal our birthright. Okay? No, we've got it because we're in Christ. Just like God had planned all along. God has known what He was gonna do from the beginning. I love, I love how James said it, man. He's, he, he read, he looked at that passage. He looked at what was going on. And man, he's like, God saw this. God, God's known from the beginning this is what he's going to do. We're just now figuring this out, but God has always known and it's right there in the Scriptures. And one of these days, God is going to restore David's kingdom. And we know that's going to be in the millennium. It's going to be when Jesus Christ returns. He's going to win that battle at Armageddon and He's going to set up His kingdom and He's going to restore His people to their land. And we're going to inherit that. We're going to, ha we're going to have a part in that. And, God, and it's going to be a great time. 
where there's many great promises. I mean, we saw in Amos some of the right there at the end of the chapter some of the good things that are coming their way. It's going to be a wonderful time of peace. There will be one more battle. There will be one more battle after that thousand years. God's going to let Satan loose for a little season. There's going to be the big Gog and Magog battle. But you know what? We see that God has a really good record of defeating His enemies. Do we not? We, are, we already know that God is going to win the battle at Armageddon. I wasn't there. I didn't get to see Jericho with my own eyes. I didn't get to see him defeat Egypt with my own eyes. I didn't get to see him defeat the Midianites with my own eyes. But you know what? I will get to see the Armageddon battle with my own eyes. And you know what? I'm not worried about the outcome of the Armageddon battle right now. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not worried at all. And I really won't be worried then about the Gog and Magog outcome. Alright? After 7,000 years of 100% keeping his promises and winning every battle, I don't think he's going to fail on the last big one. And so right there, we see in the book of Amos, I think it's interesting because while it's kind of a, you know, things are coming to an end for that northern kingdom, we, see, we still see in their hope for a remnant to be saved. And while for them in their minds, they're probably thinking, man, it's all done, it's all over. You know what? God threw some promises in there, letting them know that, hey, you know what? You never got to see any glory days. You never got to see like it was during David's day. You all never got to experience, you know, the promises that I have given to you as a people. But you know what? It's not over. I'm still going to do something great in this land. I'm still going to restore that kingdom. And you know what? If you will just be a believer, you can be a part in that. And you know what? Not only could those people in that northern kingdom be a part of that kingdom that's to come, but God said way back then, you know what? All the Gentiles, any of the heathen that are called by my name, any of who are saved will be able to be a part of that. And so, when I look at Amos, I don't look at that as something, oh, that's written to the Jews. All right, hey, That's for us too. We're included in that. We're mentioned in there. We're, we're a part of that. And we see the proof of that in the book of Acts. And so, anyway, I hope that was a blessing to you. Let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much that you keep your promises, Lord. We're so thankful that you make things clear in your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you included us in your plan. And, that, uh, Lord, it, it, it's something that we'll never understand why you did include us, why you did give us hope. But, Lord, you did it and we're thankful for it. And I just pray you'll help us to uh, do what we can as Christians to spread the message and to get as many people uh, involved in this as possible. I pray that we will be a modern day Amos and we'll be out there warning people about what's to come. And I pray that we'll help uh, raise up a righteous remnant out there that will believe your words and that will be saved so they can be a part of what's to come. We thank you for your, uh, your promises. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and go to page 269. We'll sing, Where Could I Go?